Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you very, very much for joining this Global Council webinar. Um, focus today on uh, adapting to a new normal, how UK small businesses have innovated in unprecedented times. Um, this should hopefully be a really, really interesting discussion. Uh, and I am absolutely delighted with the, uh, uh, with the people that we have speaking today. Um, just by way of introduction, my name is Alex Dawson. I'm the UK politics and policy practice lead here at Global Council, which is a strategic advisory firm uh, helping to kind of uh, translate sort of between business and politics in uh, as way best we can. And I'm absolutely delighted today to have uh, uh, speaking on this topic of small businesses, Paul Scully MP, who is the Minister for Small Businesses, Consumers and Labour Markets, and uh, probably not quite a case of poacher turned gamekeeper, but uh, was in a previous life, a small businessman himself. So it brings a really useful perspective uh, to these issues. Uh, we have Koshalia Somasandhuram, uh, who is the Head of Payments, Partnerships and Industry Relations at Square UK, which is an innovative uh, payments provider, uh, which um, does fantastic work with small businesses uh, all over the country um, and, of course, across the world as well. We have Jordan Schweid, who is the Head of UK Business Banking at Monzo, uh, which is the challenger bank that's been causing, making so many waves over the last few years. Uh, and we have Andrew Goodacre. Chief Executive of the British Independent Retailers Association, probably one of the smartest trade associations uh, for my money um, that's kind of really sort of done, a, I think, an amazing job over the last few years, in particular, considering the challenges uh, of the pandemic. And I should say we are hopefully due to be joined as well by a small business uh, itself, Steve Wright, uh, who owns Tiny Ideas Food, which is a social enterprise uh, specialising in pizza delivery, which has an amazing pandemic story. So I really do hope he is able to join us uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but look, first, I just kind of want to briefly talk about uh, small businesses and the impact of them. I think, um, you know, small businesses make up roughly 60% of the UK's uh, corporate stock. Uh, it employs a vast majority uh, of, um, of uh, people in the UK. And clearly it's at the heart of our politics, whether it is what the future is of employment, the future of the high streets, and actually the future industries that we're all gonna be working in in the future. Um, so first, I just kind of want to turn to Paul Scully um, to give his view on how this sector has adapted to the new normal, um, how these small businesses have innovated, uh, and I suppose what the future holds as well, Paul. No, thanks very much, Alex. Really delighted to join Global Council and uh, and, and great panelists as well um, with you today. Um, got to start by acknowledging the uh, the amazing resilience that we've seen from the business community, especially small businesses. As you say, I've run a few myself, and I always think there for the grace of God go I. When I know how difficult it is, you're, you've got your head down. Uh, in your business on survival uh, most times even in the good even in the good times so the way people have pivoted they've changed they've adapted uh, has, has, has been incredible under such difficult circumstances we've delivered um, as government 352 billion quid worth of direct support into small businesses and, and, and large through the grant schemes the loan schemes the various reliefs and the like 
That now gives us 352 billion reasons over how to get the next bit right, the recovery as, as, as um, businesses are, are open, they, but they, they're going through that recovery stage now. Um, and obviously there are cliff edges that we, we're seeking to smooth uh, and, and continuing to flex to to listen to businesses and respond accordingly. But then we need to also build resilience into that. And we we need to see what this new normal is, whether, whether it's access to cash, whether it's the future of our high streets, uh, the return to work, what hybrid working is, is, is going to be looking like and the impacts on that. There's so, many, so much stuff that we have to work through, but I'm really confident that our business community will continue use their continuing governance, government support to build those strong foundations to adapt and grow. And access to finance is clearly critical for any businesses that are looking to start up and scale up and grow. Uh, almost any business um, will seek some finance at some point to fuel their ambition. And uh, we, 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 we're still supporting businesses through the startup loan schemes. We've got the recovery loan schemes that we've extended to the 30th of June 2022. So businesses will continue to be able to benefit from government guaranteed finance. And the small and the small business, the startup loan scheme, again, the Chancellor extended that in his budget to, to make sure that's available to more people. But here to talk about um, the use of cash as well and the access to cash. And it's great to see uh, Koshali here as well, because I keep seeing Square, your your, your, your Square um, um, devices everywhere at the moment. And uh, in, in play, even when I was buying my poppy, uh, that was, uh, they, they, they had one there. And it's really good to how you've seen someone that I just don't carry, you know, loose loose change around with me anymore. Um, I've barely been to a cash point. So, uh, so those innovative um, means of um, making sure that small businesses that found merchant costs and other things too high to be they were put off that sort of technology previously are really starting to pivot towards that and jordan with uh, with monzo uh, again the way that uh, that that bank has challenged uh, as, as challenged the big banks and really engaging young people in particular to compartmentalize their spending and to really track their finances uh, has has really uh, thrown the cat amongst the pigeons with uh, with with all of those traditional banks uh, having to work out how to follow that. But COVID's clearly accelerated the, 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 the decline of the use of cash further. But we know that access to cash is really important. So we've obviously um, made, changed the legislation so that you can use um, cash back without a purchase of shops. We've included the uh, increase the amount of um, uh, that you could actually do um, uh, contactless up to £100 now as well. And we're also piloting, or the post, post office are also piloting further banking services uh, within their branches as well, because there's more post offices and there are banks and building societies uh, put, put together. But um, we know that uh, in terms of pivoting, retail and particularly hospitality have been really hard pushed. But we built a hospitality sector council, which goes alongside the retail sector council, uh, which allows the businesses uh, in the sector themselves to help start leaning in and support, sorting out their own problems with government very much leaning in to, to, to support them rather than the government being the, uh, the first resort for absolutely everything, as you heard the, the Chancellor say in the budget. Doesn't mean we're stepping back from, uh, from, from, from everything, but we just know that hospitality, yeah, I am a poacher turned gamekeeper. We know that uh, hospitality, retail, 
uh, and businesses in general know how to um, uh, create footfall and improve footfall and improve sales. You don't want business, government anywhere near running businesses. It should be the businesses themselves that, that are doing that. You know, I always subscribe to the Ronnie Reagan, the nine most feared words of the English language. I'm here from the government. I'm here to help. We should be there sitting behind businesses, helping create the ethos and let you guys run on. But just a final thing, final two things. When we're talking about productivity as we bounce back, there are two um, projects that we have launched as government, Help to Grow schemes. So the Help to Grow management will help businesses improve their business performance and grow through a effectively a mini MBA where governments pay 90% of the cost of that. It's really worth small businesses in particular taking a little bit of time to lift their head from their business to 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 um, set, sit back and learn from others how to introduce structured management techniques. It gives you mentoring and a peer-to-peer -peer network through the alumni there. And it's really, um, it'd be really rewarding. Help to grow digital could help 100,000 small businesses with online advice and a voucher for software costs. Uh, so again, helping businesses to digitalize for the first time or to improve their digitalization. So we will be uh, publishing an enterprise strategy early next year, but working with businesses from all sizes, really going through the journey of the uh, of businesses from startups to scale-ups to, to medium and large size companies, because we want to make sure that the UK is the best place to start and run a business, no matter where you are, no matter who you are. Thanks, Alex. 18 months in, still need to remember to turn the mute button off. Um, thank you very much, Paul. That was really, really interesting. And there's lots in there that we want to um, that we'll want to pick up on in future, uh, later on in this session. Um, I should just remind everyone as well, uh, you'll have seen the message in the chat function, but um, uh, you should absolutely lodge your questions in the Q&A. Uh, I think we've got a sort of a fantastic panel here. So um, any questions that you have to ask, now is the time to ask them. I believe you can even upvote them uh, as a sign of how innovative this small business is uh, about uh, customer engagement. Um, so uh, please do take the opportunity to do that. Now, I just want to, uh, you know, we've heard the we've heard the perspective from government, albeit poacher and gamekeeper. Um, we'd now like to turn to the perspective from uh, the the payments provider and Kushalia Somasundaram. Um, I suppose, how have you seen businesses innovate, uh, small businesses innovate over the last eighteen months or so? First of all, uh, thank you, Minister Scully, and uh, all of my fellow panelists as well. It's great to be here this uh, Wednesday morning. Um, and good morning, everyone. I think for us, um, the past 18 months have been, um, I guess, difficult for many SMEs and businesses across the country. And um, one of our core focuses um, at Square has been helping our business customers transition through the changing rules, um, circumstances, of course, um, and regulations that they've had to manage to keep their businesses going. Um, in fact, we recently um, carried out a research, um, some of you may have already seen it, it's called the future of retail restaurants and consumer behavior. Um, we spoke to hundreds of owners um, and managers um, and thousands of customers actually to find out how the business is, uh, has changed since the pandemic um, and hear their predictions of uh, what lies ahead for the future. Um, these reports, which I encourage you to read if you haven't done so already, and really happy to discuss in further detail, uh, gave us a lot of insights. Um, what I'd like to highlight a couple of uh, stats from uh, for today is that 97% of consumers now make um, most of their monthly purchases um, online. 
and 73% um, made a purchase directly from social media in the past few months. These highlights, obviously, the need for omni-channel selling, uh, which is one something that Square is very famous for. Um, and regarding the restaurants, we also saw that 91% of restaurants expect to earn revenue from takeaways in the next 12 months, um, while one in five expect the majority of sales to come from delivery and uh, takeout sales. Now, these are very remarkable statistics, as you can imagine. Um, and obviously, on technological investments, uh, we saw that one in four customers consider contactless um, technology to be critical in their dining experience. Now, something that Mr. Uh, Scully spoke to just earlier, um, the increase in contactless limit, uh, which has facilitated the contactless um, rise in contactless payments as well. And then 41% of restauranters plan to invest further uh, in kitchen automation technology over the next um, six months or so. Um, it's also clear that we need to focus on how we make the experience for businesses um, seamless so the customers can easily adapt to the changing events. Um, now, even before the pandemic, we have focused on delivering um, and developing products that offer a range of services that help sellers um, to start, run, and grow. Um, and I'd also add up to the businesses as we saw. Um, one of the main ways that we um, essentially um, supported the, the retailers across the UK um, was to build online businesses, now providing choice for them and their customers at this time. Now, this resonates to the the earlier statistics that I spoke to. Um, and obviously a couple of other things that we also did was whether it's through the use of Square Reader, point of sale products, which were already existing in the market, the ability to take instant deposits um, or use also the Square uh, terminals um, as, as a couple of examples um, that we saw. Um, and then um, we obviously one of the, many ways that I think uh, we also saw from last spring um, that it was going to be important for us to help many of the retailers uh, that until this time, so the, until the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic, um, had only taken payments in person. So for many of our sellers, uh, that was no longer an option. Um, and so the footfall, you know, especially when, when they had to sort of increase the footfall against the high street uh, that was uh, relying mainly on, uh, you know, on in-person uh, proposition, we also had to pivot them into online businesses. Um, now, which is why we've been working to support these businesses to go through all of the steps necessary to transition to successful online enterprise, uh, from taking an inventory online to managing their stock or to building a website, for example, um, and checkout process to bring, being able to make the, the, the entirety of the online sale possible. Uh, we also recently launched two new tools, um, specifically the Square Marketing and Square Loyalty, some of you may be familiar with, uh, to the UK market in October to help businesses grow their sales um, and also engage customers with just a few clicks. Um, the double product launch for us um, was aimed at uh, further leveling the playing field for our businesses um, of all types and sizes because it provides the businesses with easy to use uh, and powerful marketing tools that have typically only been um, you know, available for bigger businesses essentially. Um, and along with the Square products already available in the UK, um, sellers, so, so we, we 
we, we know some of the others like gift cards. Square Marketing and Square Loyalty, what it does is it provides a whole suite of customer capability products um, that enable sellers to build the entire customer lifecycle in just one place. For example, if you take um, one of our sellers, uh, Wix Barbershop, um, you know, they found using these tools helped them to completely streamline um, how they stay in touch with the clients and have seen the increase in the returning of customer base, which is incredible. Um, because what happened was as the tools work both in store and online, their customers never missed a chance to earn or redeem the points through either the royalty program or having features like integrated with their entire suite of business tools. Um, this also meant that they could communicate for the SMEs and particularly this barbershop that they were able to communicate um, to with the customers at every touch point they were having with a particular consumer. Um, and just as everyone should be able to participate in the economy, as you know, which is one of our core principles here at Square, uh, it's all about uh, economic empowerment. Uh, smaller retailers and businesses should have also access to the, we believe, smaller businesses should also have access to the same tools and services um, to latest, including latest innovation uh, and powerful tools that typically only have been used by larger businesses. Um, now, so bridging this gap and trying to bring uh, retailers to true innovation is one of our primary focuses as well. Um, so we've been able to do this um, by bringing the, uh, the retailers through innovation um, in one, uh, one of many ways. Um, and we have benefited from, like, for example, we benefited from open source technology um, and we continue to support this for our sellers as well. Um, one of the other things we are doing is we are continuing to provide the sellers the choice. We are constantly developing new products and services to help our businesses. Uh, a great example of this is that we partnered with Michelle uh, Oven um, and small businesses uh, to help businesses understand how they can maximize tools to sell online now. Um, Minister Scully also mentioned uh, a great example of how government is supporting in this in this type of way as well in terms of mentoring program and advice. And this was very similar to that in that this was a tool, basically this was helping um, the, the businesses to see how they can maximize uh, their sales online. Hearing also from um, Catherine um, Erdley, founder of the Resilient Retail Club, uh, about best ways to make sales online um, and also design your website and how to use the social media as well. Um, and ultimately, you know, obviously we believe that we need to support both bricks and clicks. So I talked about in person as well as online um, and meaningful choices about embracing all forms, all forms of payments as far as um, we believe. Um, and that includes cash payments, payment apps, as well as digital sales as well. Um, so with that, uh, without further ado, I'll pass it on with my thanks back to Alex. Well, thanks very much, Koshalia. And that was a really fascinating um, insight into how uh, innovation um, is kind of inspired by companies and products such as yourselves and how that, uh, I suppose, it's not just kind of a, a one-way um, system where we just expect the small businesses to innovate, but actually it's how they use their supply chain arguably to to innovate in terms of um, your products. Jordan, uh, turning to you from the kind of the banking sector, what's your what's your perspective on this? And sort of, I suppose, what do you what do you have to kind of re re reflecting on what Paul and Koshalia have, have said so far? Yeah, thanks, Alex, and thanks for having me. And nice to see you on. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's really interesting. So from my perspective, I work at Monzo, which is 
a digital online bank and traditionally started as a consumer bank. Um, but about two years ago, we started understanding a bit more about small businesses and their needs and kind of understanding what would our place be in this? Should we, should we play in this space? Why, why does this make sense for us? And early on in that research, it became evidently clear to us that small businesses were just severely underserved by the big banks today. 85% um, of small businesses were being served by the big five banks, but you'd heard, heard time, from, time and time again from them like, hey, it's impossible to get started. All I need to do is pay and get paid. I have no visibility and control of my finances. And we'd hear things from our community members saying like, why can't you revolutionize my business finances the way that you revolutionize my personal finances? Um, and so our mission at Monzo is to make money work for everyone. And that very clearly meant small businesses too. And so we set out to build a product that we thought would work for them. Um, what was what no one expected was obviously the, the week that we launched was the week that the UK went into lockdown. So March of last year, 18 months ago, we said we're open for business and the rest of the UK isn't. And so what's interesting about that is that we had all these great hypotheses about why Monza business would be so great. What do small businesses need to get that visibility control and things like that? Um, and one of the great things about working at Monzo is that we cared deeply about user research needs and iterative design. So what we did right then and there was we said, hey, let's go speak to our small businesses and understand how this is impacting them and what we need to do as a result to change that. Uh, and early research, we, we just spoke to a bunch of our early community and said, hey, what do you think about this? And early on, no one really knew. So there was kind of four mindsets. We're either making it work. We're just kind of just kind of keep going, make some small tweaks. We're looking ahead and making some big strategic changes. Like, hey, yeah, let's pivot online. Let's change our business altogether. Or you know what? I can't survive this. I need to close. I need to get some funding, all that stuff. And the last one was, I'm going to figure it out later. And so we kind of took those things, very basic high level things and said, great, let's dig into that a bit. For those of you that are changing, what are you thinking about changing? For those of you that are worried, what are you worried about? And it really boiled down to, this is my livelihood. I don't know how I'm gonna make money. What do I need to do to stay competitive? What do I need to do to keep getting paid? Uh, and when we dug into that further, actually a lot of our attention turned to the businesses that were coming to us from services industries. They were, they were realizing that their processes weren't built for a world like this. They were dealing with in-person things. They were either getting paid by maybe cash or they're invoicing manually on pen and paper, or they weren't just like, they weren't getting paid and they were spending most of their time actually chasing and doing admin versus at this point in time, what they need to do is focus on their business and pivot to strategy. And so we took a step back and said, great. If at the end of the day, what you really want to do is build your business, get back to what you love, do those things. What can we do better for you? And we kind of took the opinion of, we needed to make your life easier and take away the hassle and take away the admin. Um, and so one of the things that small businesses to me have really embraced over this time is the adoption of some different digital tools to make that process better. And a small business, you know, has on average maybe 10, 12 different tools, but all of them performing different things. One of the things that we wanted to do was bring that into one place and also make it really, really easy to access for someone who traditionally isn't going to use those things. So a one person business, a sole trader, a two person business who's just getting started, they don't know what they need. And so we just developed a tool that helps them collect payments better. And why did we do that? It was, yeah, great. Like maybe I'm not accepting cash anymore. Maybe I'm not accepting cash anymore, but you know, I'm going to get paid by bank transfer, but 70% of my business of my customers are paying me late. What could we do about that? And so we looked to the market and see what innovation is out there. And we saw obviously the payment initiation services and open banking provides a real opportunity to help close that loop a bit better. And so now we've developed a tool where our small businesses are able to go request payments either through a link or an invoice, get paid by card, or if they want to, like if that's not for them, get paid free through open banking bank transfers. And we've seen that they're getting paid five days faster on average on that. 
And these are things that were inspired by what our businesses said they wanted and needed, but also the fact that they're willing to change and adopt those things. And some of the key tool, the key kind of findings that came out of this is like, why did they want to change? A, they wanted to just get back to what mattered. They were doing anything to reduce that admin, make their lives easier. Um, but also B, they wanted to really meet the needs of their consumers and, and the people who they're supplying to. So can they meet them when they are? Maybe some of our people. So we have a personal trainer who all he does is digital online things now that there's no more work. Now he's back in the gym, but there wasn't. So now he's sending links to his clients in WhatsApp. We have cleaners who are doing stuff on invoices. And before it was pen and paper. And now they're saying, hey, can I just send you this link and it's done? And so this is like one small segment of how we've seen fall businesses start to innovate. They're really changing their processes. They're changing the way they're collecting things. Uh, and they're really focused on making it work. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there in the future for all the businesses that are out there to be able to say, hey, like, I don't just need to embrace, I don't need to just be digital embraces for myself and like turn my business online, but there are a bunch of tools and things out there that just help make my life easier. And I think the pandemic for all the bad things that happened kind of opened that up for people to start looking internally and saying, what are the things I could do to make this work? And I think that's like a really impressive culture that has come out in small business recently. Um, the other thing I would say that like has been really interesting to me in my world. So in the last 18 months, like I said, we opened the week of lockdown. We had no idea what it would mean for growth, right? Like 85% are at the big five banks. What does that mean? Uh, and why do you choose those banks? It's because the bank, it's the bank that you know, you trust, you see it on the high street, you know that it's also the place where you have your personal account. But at a time when the pandemic was happening and everything was closed in lockdown, those banks weren't open for new accounts. You couldn't go in in person. And so for us, one of the big things that we saw was really impressive. If we were nervous, would small businesses trust us? Would they want to go digital? Would they want to open a bank digitally online? And what we saw time and time again, were people were thankful that we were there because there was no other way. And they said, hey, like I had to close this business, start a new business. I'm opening a new account. There's nothing else for me to do. And you're there for me. And that piece of embracing, embracing change and really being able to be there and say, hey, we're an alternative option for you has been really, really interesting for me to see from our side to say, yeah, like this isn't something that always has to be 85% go to the big five for no reason. It's because now that there's an opportunity, people are seeing it and loving it. And uh, I think it's a really cool change to see happening. So lots of cool stuff happening. It's been an interesting journey and I'm excited to see what life outside the pandemic holds for moms of business. Are we all? Um, thank you very much, Jordan. That was that was a really, really interesting contribution and a lot there to kind of pick up on um, when we come back to questions. Uh, just to say on questions, you should still definitely be submitting your questions via the Q&A function. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Now, just to turn to uh, Andrew Goodacre, who's the chief executive of the um, uh, British Independent Retailers Association. I suppose, you know, the voice of small business arguably on this call, um, you know, as a voice of small business membership. Um, uh, do tell us, how, how did you see the pandemic from your perspective and what does the future hold? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the, the two big things that, that impacted on retail in general and certainly independent retail was the move online that we saw because people had to shop online with, with, with so many shops being closed down. So that brought new, new people to the online um, benefits uh, and we saw that rise significantly. I think at the highest, online sales accounted for 60% of total retail sales, and that's non-food. Um, it's down to about 30 now, but, but I suspect it will inch up from there as we move out of this pandemic. And the other big shift we saw at the same time was, was people being asked to work from home, enjoying working from home, staying working from home, and therefore actually spending more time in the place where they live, 
um, not just their home, but their local environment. So we've actually seen, therefore, a, a, a rise of localism from a, from a retailing perspective. People want to shop, enjoy shopping locally. And, and from this independent retailer perspective, that's, that's great news because we tend to operate best in those local areas. We're, we're not big city centre operators generally. Those sites are normally too big and too expensive. But in the suburbs and the smaller towns, villages, um, that you know, many of these guys are prospered. So with those two trends, online localism, um, I, I think what we have seen, and, and I've got nothing but massive admiration for, for the independent retailers who have picked themselves up time and time again during the pandemic, as many small businesses have, um, uh, as we've had to face closures and, uh, and lockdowns. But each time they come back a little bit stronger, a little bit more determined to embrace the changes. And I would say when I started this role, in 18, that, that a lot of independent retailers saw the internet as, as a grim reaper for their business, you know, the big threat. And what they've actually done is now embrace that technology and say, well, how do I make the most of people shopping locally and still provide both a physical environment and an online environment for those people to, to benefit? Um, and, and I think the other panelists have mentioned the need for omni-channel, and, and that's what I would say the independents have, have embraced in many ways. They, they, they focus big style on, on social media. And I was fascinated by the fact that, that these purchases, such, such a high percentage of purchases start in social media. Um, and we've seen everything from fashion shows on, on Facebook to uh, wine tasting nights on Zoom. You know, it's, it's about really saying, well, I, my shop may be closed. Customers can't come to me, but I, can I go back to the customer? And I think we, we need to see that in 22 and beyond now, this, this, this creativity, this determination, this resilience that is so endemic in, in the small business world, it now is not the time to relax. Now it's time you've got to redouble your efforts again and go again, because as we come out of the pandemic, there's probably more risk now. Uh, we haven't got the, the level of support that, that the government have provided throughout the pandemic. So business has to stand on their own two feet a bit more. The cost of doing business is increasing as well. We're seeing costs in energy increases, we're seeing costs in, in supply chains coming through. So the businesses have to continue to be smart. They have to continue to look at technology and, and ask themselves, what can I do, A, to increase sales? And at the same time, if I, if I can reduce costs, then that's, that's a win-win. And I think that's what we're seeing within the independent retail sector. People are, are being smarter in the way they approach their business. They've used their downtime, their closure time to reflect on what they needed to do. And many of them have started to make those changes. And our message to those people now is don't stop, keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to stick up because it's too early to say where hybrid working is going to lead us, as Paul was talking about, what is that new normal? Um, or are we there now? So they just need to really focus on those communities, engage with the local community, and really start to really push out now those boundaries and, and, and take forward their business. Both physical store, it's not about replacing physical stores, it's about actually complementing the physical store with, a, with an online presence. And, and I'm sure that will continue next year and, and beyond. Brilliant, thank you, Andrew. That was really, really interesting. And it's given me, um, I think, kind of an ideal sort of question, frankly, to, to put to the minister. Um, sorry, Paul. Um, uh, so, I mean, you, you, you talked about kind of the risks in the, the future, Andrew, from, you know, you know obviously a, a sort of a withdrawal of support as would be expected. Now we're kind of broadly out of the pandemic. Um, I say broadly, we'll come on to this a little bit. 
you know, the, the prospect of higher costs, obviously, as we sort of see bottleneck shortages across the entire globe, affecting, you know, businesses across the UK as well. I mean, Paul, what what is kind of keeping you up at night um, as small business minister? Is it these topics? Is there anything else that kind of, you know, businesses should be thinking about? And I suppose, what are you doing to, uh, I suppose, make sure that you sort of sit behind business, small business in a way that helps them succeed in these, in the face of these problems? Yeah, really good point. Uh, lots of things keep me up awake, Alex. Alex it's, a, uh, it's part, part of the job, really. Uh, because you, there's so much about this job uh, when it's small businesses, when you've been also when you've been running small businesses, you've been responsible for other people's livelihoods. It gives you a totally different perspective on life and, and a role in government, I suppose. So it's something that you can easily feel rather than just necessarily look at a spreadsheet. So my job is always to make sure that other people in government realise that small businesses, independent retailers, hospitality sector, all people that, that, that Jordan and Shelley and Andrew engage with all the time are not just units of economic activity. It's the, the human beings and the creating opportunities for other human beings and creating the social value and community communities for, for other human beings. And so it's that ecosystem. Um, but look, yeah, it, it is about making sure that we can get the um, uh, supply shortages right. That is a global issue. So we need to continue to work um, with, with international counterparts, some of which will just correct itself, but some of which there are levers that we need to push uh, pull at an international level. There's obviously the, the labour shortages. Um, similarly, again, part of that is furlough coming um, uh, unwinding and working through that. Um, but uh, uh, and the the seemingly easy shortcut answers aren't always great answers in like visas and and, and and such like because there's no guarantee that's going to produce this, the the um, the staff that you want because some of these shortages are elsewhere. But it's building resilience into small businesses. It's with the hospitality structure um, strategy that I published in the summer had the three R's: reopening, recovery, and resilience. And it's that third bit that, that actually underpins everything and, and avoids any uh, cliff edges in the in the future as well. But it's how we how we make sure we can we can get to that place, smoothing out those cliff edges with business rates and uh, uh, and uh, the the fact that some businesses have taken on finance for the first time. Uh, so how they deal with that, how they handle that, working with banks uh, and other lending institutions. Um, we had the Pay As You Grow um, uh, initiative that's helped uh, businesses smooth out their payments for the bounce back loans, for example. But the final thing is the, the rent issue for the high street. So because that is a, an issue that's nothing to do with government, ostensibly, it's a commercial contract between tenant and landlord. So we've got the levers of business rates and VAT and other fiscal measures. We don't about that. So I've just introduced a bill yesterday uh, into Parliament, which will be legislating for binding, mandatory binding arbitration if landlords and tenants can't have sensible conversations like something like 77% of landlords and tenants have had to, to ensure that we that businesses that were otherwise viable um, apart from the pandemic can survive despite having built up uh, rent debt when they were mandated to close. It's a difficult, thorny issue to unwind, but hopefully that's that big, that last big intervention of government, part of the 352 billion reasons I was talking about to help shape the recovery. Um, thanks very much. And, and the, the government now isn't seeing 352 billion reasons that the 
Um, the government supported the economy as now 352 billion problems as we look to try and close the deficits. Obviously, we've got increases in corporation tax coming down the line. I mean, you know, is, is that is that kind of unwinding of that support? Um, you know, do you foresee any kind of bumps in the road, or do you think everyone is kind of broadly, broadly across what's going to happen there and the steps that are required to? I think there were, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, difficult wins, crosswinds, aren't there, coming, you know, with energy prices uh, and, as I say, the global supply shortages and these kind of things that, that are uh, not directly related to the UK uh, um, situation of the pandemic, but partly it's pandemic elsewhere, partly it's an unwinding of, of issues with the staffing shortage, for example, that, uh, uh, that um, underpins sort of some structural issues around employment. Um, so there's, it's, it's going to be, you know, we know it's going to be a difficult winter. We've held the economy in such tight grip with insolvencies at a 40 year low that we can't just let go. And so that's the difficulty over the next few months. Um, and, and Jordan, just kind of, I mean, from your kind of perspective, how are you sort of seeing the long term impact of the scale of business lending that's taken place over the last 18 months? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously I said we launched during the pandemic and we didn't launch with a finance product, which was yeah. quite interesting because we know that's, that's a critical need of small businesses. And we took a look at Bibbles and Sibbles and we saw that that wasn't something that we could participate in. But for me, I actually think that there's a big demand here for small business lending that goes beyond this. So we're going to see, from what I understand, a big wave of people both needing to sustain after this, but also defaulting and, and new businesses starting up that will still need access to finance that won't have it as before. And so what we're hoping to do is similar to how we've just done on our consumer side is like creating new innovative products that really meet the needs of our small businesses for the way that they need to manage their cash flow and the way they need to grow and invest their money. Um, I don't know what those look like, but I do think that post pandemic that the access to finance is critical and that the, the needs that we're solving for will be quite different. And I, I hope that small businesses are able to turn to both existing providers, but alternative new providers that are really helping them to meet those needs. And I, I see the demand just continuing to grow post pandemic. Brilliant. Um, and I mean, just in terms of kind of growing demand, Koshalia, you know, you, you, you've, you've helped businesses become kind of omni-channel and you've helped, you know, often in the first wave of the pandemic from what you were describing, businesses go from being physical business in, businesses into online. How are you seeing kind of, I suppose, new entrants, new customers that you're getting um, think about online versus sort of physical um, and I suppose I'd be kind of interested as well in understanding sort of, uh, yeah, how they're kind of going back physically different to how they sort of started off in the pandemic. Just any kind of observations that you have around that area? Yeah, no, I'm absolutely happy to share. Um, I guess there are two lens to this, right? There's one from the, as you mentioned, the, from the business side, and there's also from the consumer side, which is driving that change as well. So. Um, we've been monitoring the UK business behavior actually since the start of the pandemic and during the pandemic as well. Um, and in March, I don't know whether some of you might have already seen it, that we also published a report um, looking at the use of cash uh, during the pandemic, which was quite insightful in terms of the statistics that it offered to us. Um, two main themes that came out of it. Um, one is around online, I think, as many of you have already mentioned. And the other one is the cashless uh, piece. Um, so for all the businesses that are currently taking online payments with Square, um, we noted that actually 21% began doing so um, since sort of March 2020 or after. So really, literally after the, the start of the pandemic. Um, and the number of businesses accepting online payments with Square nearly doubled. 
um, at the start of the pandemic. Um, and we are continuing to see the seller demand, demand for online um, through the, the customers, right? So as I mentioned earlier, you know, 97% of the, the consumers actually saw shop online for the at least for their monthly retail purchases. Now, so you can see that the online demand actually grew um, and then compared to sort of the July to September uh, 2020 period um, to July to September 2021, we saw a slight dip, which went from about 54% to 57% in terms of online offering, but the consumer demand continued to has continued to grow. Um, which is really interesting. And then the share of the, so the second part of it is really around the cashless piece. Um, and we saw that the share of businesses operating um, on a cashless basis um, essentially dropped quite a bit, um, surprisingly, from the, um, the months or the high months were really, again, July to September 2020 where we saw it was around 47 of the businesses were actually cashless. Um, and then coming to July to 20, September 2021, uh, we saw it drop um, to about 40%. And I'm happy to go into the detail in terms of different verticals that showed, saw the shift um, in terms of food and beverages, saw the largest drop, um, followed by a few others. Um, but that again shows that cash is still very much in use despite the drop. Um, the other thing also that we found, um, as I mentioned, is um, from a consumer perspective, um, I guess, you know, the online piece that we spoke about earlier, but also the use of contactless payments, um, which was also an interesting one. Um, so we saw that the contactless payments actually had risen by 12% roughly uh, in 2020 to about 9.6 billion uh, payments, um, which is um, also interesting. Um, from a statistics perspective. But yeah, so it's really the contactless piece, digital that's driving from a consumer perspective. And to summarize from a SME perspective, mm. it's really online and providing, you know, sort of omni-channel offering beyond just cash. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of what you were saying about kind of the, the sort of the fallback in sort of cashless transactions, I mean, just thinking about sort of, um, you know, my own personal experience, my dad, God bless him, he's a wonderful man. Uh, but he always carries cash and he finds cash to be just a more useful kind of thing for him, you know, for various different reasons. So I can kind of understand that actually some of those pandemic trends that we saw, I mean, we probably overhyped somewhat the extent to which there was going to be a permanent change as a consequence of it. But clearly what we have now is still different to what we had, you know, 18 months ago and sort of, you know, March, March the 10th, 2020. Um, uh, we've got a question for the minister, which I'll kind of come to shortly, but I just want to bring in Andrew first. Um, where are your members struggling to innovate and why? We've heard this amazing story from Jordan and Koshalia and also from, from you, frankly, about how your businesses have changed yeah. and, and how businesses have changed. But, you know, clearly there is a long tail of businesses where they still struggle to be more productive, more innovative. And I'm just interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I... I, I... I would say that um, it's about one of the, the, the things that they, they have precious little of has been time at time, you know, because they, they had heads down in the business, they, they, they didn't have a huge number of staff around them. And so when they're looking to make changes, there's a little bit of fear, there's a little bit of, of it's easy to find a reason not to do something um, and, and hope for the best. So I guess that attitudinally, the, the, we've seen that change, but there's still an element of that that exists. In terms of the, the, the shift, to changing your your offering and, and becoming more omni-channel. 
that it's easy to identify what where to go that you have to create this online presence you have to create this this energy and, and this engagement online what is so much harder for them is, is or what they've suddenly realized is that that's an incredibly competitive world uh, even more competitive than any high street because there's so many, much more choice for the consumer and and so it i think where they struggled the people who, who have made this move and what they're about to learn quickly is how do they transfer their identity as a local shop with their community their personality that's so important to them into that online world how do they make sure that the, the values that they stand for in their shop transfer successfully online and still be still retain that that level of engagement and and how do you make sure you still get found online it's easy to say well i've got a website but it, and i guess that's the first element they did they created a website but it needed to be more than just a website and and what we've tried to do is introduce new technology with them um we, we've introduced a new banking service we've introduced technology that allows them to be found online through their product ranges and high up on google searches and in the next few weeks we'll be launching a, a, an online platform for independent retailers to sell an online marketplace at a much lower cost than, than they may find with some of the larger better known marketplaces out there um and, and I think it's important, therefore, that, that they have these opportunities to explore and reduce the risk that they, they feel they're seeing, but also making it easy for them to, to move online. Because you have to get your products online, you have to get photos of your products online, you have to do all of that. And all, the, all of those mechanics become a, a, a hurdle that stops a small business owner making that move. Um, I, I, I think where the government has done well to support this, and, and I, I would say that they help to grow digital, is something we still need to keep pushing. We still need to help businesses make these changes um, in there and, and help to grow management one as well, which allows them then to just take a slightly more strategic view as well. So those are two important schemes that were launched last year or earlier this year, sorry, and, and need to maintain that focus and that support because it's that kind of support that businesses need to tap into. And we, we push into those schemes, our, our members and non-members, because you know that gives them the, the 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 a little bit more reassurance that they can make that change successfully. I mean, it is. I mean, the help to grow kind of stuff is interesting. I must admit, I sort of have a certain kind of jaded attitude sometimes towards schemes that are kind of build help to you. But it's quite interesting talking to I mean, people like yourself, Andrew, mm. people around government. Actually, just how committed um you, you know the, the, the sort of government broadly is to this scheme um and, and actually just how much value a lot of the participants in it see kind of coming from it yeah i, I mean we would like to see more naturally and we'd like to see maybe some of the eligibility criteria change to allow I mean, more to take part and so on yeah but, but i think it's a good start and we can build on that onto a question that's been kind of tabled on the, the q a function um, uh, and, and this is the, to Paul. I mean, what appetite is there within government to open up the Help to Grow digital scheme to a wider range of software providers beyond accounting and CRM, uh, for example, to include platforms that help small businesses collaborate and work remotely? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think, uh, Alex, uh, the, the things with the Help to Grow schemes, they're basically designed by, you know, with businesses. They're not, it's not just government top down. This yeah. is what you, this is what you need to do. And I think that's a really important difference from, uh, from potentially other schemes. But in terms of appetite, the, uh, the, the digital scheme was by necessity uh, limited to uh, accounting, CRM systems and e-commerce in wave one. 
but clearly we'll see what happens in future waves. And I suppose what we need to make sure with all of these things is uh, it's value for money for taxpayers to make sure that we're getting the big, biggest bang for a buck in terms of productivity gains. The one uh, thing that we need to look at and question with, uh, um, you know, in terms of um, uh, interactivity um, virtually is how many businesses are already doing that by necessity through through the pandemic and taking up Zoom teams and other and, and other platforms. It's not to say I'm not saying that we're not going to do it, but it's just um, if that's a direction that businesses have gone anyway, do you need government intervention or do you, or are there other other areas that we can intervene first? But there's definitely an appetite to make sure that we continue to listen to business. We continue to, um, as I say, get the best bang for our buck. And what is it we can do, whether it's changing and widening the criteria in digital, whether it's looking at um, the other issues in criteria in the management. For example, people have said, can you go lower than five employees, which is the minimum number of employees you've got to, to be eligible to go onto the management scheme. Could you have a second person from a company go on the management scheme so you actually got cross-pollination of learning throughout the institutions. Biggest thing that I keep saying to um, organisations, representative organisations, help me make the Help to Grow schemes a success, then I'll be able to get the Chancellor and get some more cash from him to uh, to widen the criteria. <laughs> Quite right. <Simple. laughs> Dead easy. <laughs> Anybody out of the Treasury? Um, uh, what, Paul, just another kind of thing that I'm sort of really interested in, um, you know, I'm sitting in a, an office in central London um, uh, where it definitely isn't as busy uh, in the surrounding area um, as it was 18 months ago. Been a number of kind of businesses close around us. How are you kind of reading that, that kind of situation? Do you, are you genuinely seeing a prolonged shift of activity, business activity to outside of city centres as, as I think Andrew referred to earlier? Um, and, and is that something that you want to enable or is it something that you're kind of concerned about and you, you're worried about the future of our great city centres? Oh, this is another thing that keeps me awake at night. I'm the Minister for London as well. So it's actually, uh, um, you're looking at London. I was, I've spent most of my time over the last 19 months in the department as I am now. This all looks grand with a flag behind me and everything like that. There's no one else around me. It's been quite a lonely sort of pharaoh. And I, but I walk through London uh, most days to just get a vibe of what's going on. My train on the way in this morning was absolutely rammed. It's starting to get back to the situation when you're under someone standing under someone's armpit for, for that commute. But London, typically this time it's unusual because it's actually probably the last place to bounce back. Whereas usually it's the first place to bounce back uh, in uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, recessions and the like because of the size of it. It's 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 three times the, uh, the 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 square miles of the next um, European city, I believe. Never mind a UK city. So it's got a particular centre of gravity uh, that that just doesn't relate to anywhere else in the UK. But yeah, uh, in, we need international travellers back. Um, we need people back in their workplaces to make sure we keep the vibrancy of London. But nonetheless, it will change. Different employers are taking different views, and that will have in, impacts on theatres, on restaurants, on the independent small businesses around that service those offices. Um, and that's what I meant about shape, shape, shaping the change. Well, indeed, I mean, in Koshalia, kind of how are your sort of, you know, sort of businesses that use your platform to sell either goods or services, are they kind of thinking already about how they deal with that sort of change in use perhaps where, 
you know, it was the case that people were buying lunch on the kind of high street in the suburbs or the towns that they live in, rather than kind of commuting into the city and buying it from a big kind of a big chain. You know, are they are they sort of thinking about how they kind of sort of keep hold of that growth that they saw during um, the pandemic uh, as people start to return to workplaces in the central town, perhaps? Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. Something that Andrew said about sort of the local localization piece, I think kind of comes to mind. Um, it's interesting how I think, again, how resilient some of these small businesses have actually become and uh, have been actually over the course of the pandemic. And as a consequence of that, what we've seen is that I think these sort of communities forming, right? So people still have their favorite kind of go-to place for their sandwich or a coffee or whatever it is. And I think they are starting to support even more the local businesses um, in their in their towns. And one of the interesting statistics actually from Square perspective is that actually uh, a vast majority, you know, excess of 70% of the, the businesses that we support are outside of London. Um, you know, which may sound uh, quite unique, but actually when you think about where these hubs have been forming, even outside of London, right, in other cities, um, it is no, probably not much of a surprise. So I think, yeah, we are going to continue to see, I think, the support for the smaller communities, support for the local shops, um, perhaps shift away a little bit from the high street, um, and again, all fueled by the level playing field that I mentioned earlier on, where these businesses are able to compete um, both across online, in person, and uh, and the more in in the most efficient way possible. Um, so I think that's yeah. So I mean, to an extent, would you say that you're kind of in the vanguard of leveling up, which is obviously kind of the great mission of the of the government, making I'm sure that economic opportunity is spread outside of London. Yeah, no, we have we've been uh, very, very, um, you know, interested and actually very thankful for all of the government intervention and then also the kind of the including the leveling up agenda. I think you know which um, will definitely support the small businesses. You know, still probably uh, some way to go in terms of actually diffusing some of the nervousness that's uh, still there. So um, we're seeing, for example, you know, 37% of the hospitality businesses, for example, they're still concerned about repaying the loans. Um, you know, reflecting the impact of the you know, success of lockdowns that we saw and the restrictions um, on the sector. Uh, but that being said, and again, you know, similarly, smaller businesses will have say, similar kind of fear. You know, how are they going to be able to sustain? I think Jordan mentioned this, Andrew mentioned this, sustainability going forward. It wasn't just about the pandemic. Um, so naturally, there is a little bit of nervousness. But that being said, I think this collective localization and the community effect is, is definitely paying, uh, you know, playing to its strength um, and coming to help the small businesses and consumers alike. Um, that, that's, that, that, that's really, really interesting and really, uh, yeah, really kind of, um, I mean, I think that kind of point about, uh, you know, 70% of sellers being outside of London is kind of quite a striking one. And I think often when we talk about the importance of small business, the importance of raising productivity it is kind of inherently linked to actually kind of the broader agenda of trying to rebalance the economy and make sure it's sort of slightly stronger outside London than, um, than it maybe has been in the past. Um, we've got two minutes left, so I've just got one final question. And seeing as we've kind of got the minister and there's obviously a huge amount of work going on on this topic at the moment, I'm really interested uh, in your answer to this. Net zero, COP26 going on over the last couple of weeks, what can small businesses do and what is small businesses role in making sure we hit that target of net zero by 2050? 
Yeah, really interesting. Uh, I would suggest that all small businesses go to businessclimatehub.org.uk uh, where they can see uh, how to benchmark what they're doing already uh, and how to take that first step. We cannot do this without big uh, without government at every level, without big businesses and small businesses and communities and individuals taking a step and then moving on. Um, but it will be, first of all, about um, the simple things, turning down the thermostat, changing to LEDs, use less water in your um, uh, uh, processes, um, manufacturing processes, for example, which then takes less, less energy, which can actually have a positive effect on your bottom line. Uh, there, there may be costs down the line, but it's not going to be anywhere near the kind of scope that, that we've had in um, the media, because everybody's assuming you're having to change all of your boilers and cars and everything like that tomorrow. That's clearly not the case. There's a glide path to 2050, which why it's, we're not asked, you know, we're not saying that we're going to get to net zero by, by next year. And through that, what we're hoping by creating our strategies through the hydrogen strategy, the buildings and uh, heating strategy, that that creates a market. It gives certainty to new business, businesses, of which many will be small, coming in and say, you know what, I can invest time, resource and money into developing technologies, developing installation techniques and those kind of things, which will reduce the cost of, of, of those products those, um, that will help the drive to net zero by, you know, within the next few years. Obvious example is solar, which when it came out a few years ago, was incredibly expensive, but now it's 89% less um, uh, expensive than it was at that point. So it's all these disruptors like Jordan, the banking world, and uh, Corsalio in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the FinTech world, the payments world. This, we're wanting to drive that same cohort in the green space as well. I suppose it's rephrasing disruption as kind of opportunity creation, really. Um, Brilliant. Well, look, we're, we're at time. I just want to thank everyone that we've had um, on the line listening um, and submitting questions. And I, I want to really thank um, our fantastic panellists who I think have given us genuinely, I found it incredibly interesting insight um, from small business, the effects, the, 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 you know, how they, how they manage the pandemic and how they see the uh, challenges, but most importantly, the opportunities in the future. That's been Paul Scully, the business, Small Business Minister, Andrew Goodacre, the Chief Executive of the British Independent Retailers Association, Kushalia Samasanduram uh, from Square, Head of International, uh, uh, Head of Payments Partnership and Industry Relations, and Jordan Schweid, uh, Head of UK Business Banking at Monte. Um, any further questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with me or your uh, contact here at Global Council. Um, and uh, thank you again. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.